The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Well, I'm going to open up with a happy birthday to me. Well... It's on the 1st of May, but here we are just a couple days away. Yes, I turned 58 years old. Uh, What have I learned? There's no quick way to getting rich, Uh, but you can all do it. I promise you, you can all do it. Slow, steady, Eddie will allow it to happen. The magical compound. Yes, what have I learned in 58 years? Everyone can become rich. Run the numbers. A homeless person can become rich $5 a day for about 30 years with, you know, over half a million bucks, give or take. My good friends, I want to uh, help you fill your wallets uh, so you have more when it comes to your birthday. Uh, Tony Dwyer spending some time with us. Uh, he, of course, is Canaccord Genuity's head of the U.S. Macro Group, also our chief market strategist. He sits on our U.S. Opco Operating Committee. Been on Wall Street for over 30 years, ranging from corporate boardroom, that must have been fun, to individual investor, equally fun. Um, But of course, he's best known for his practical application of macroeconomic and tactical market indicators, assisting institutional investors and Jack and I in making intermediate term investment and spending decisions. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tony Dwyer. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, too much. Well, happy birthday. (laughs) Hey, thank you, Tony. Indeed, it is a happy birthday. You know, uh, I'm going to say my birthday present to me is going to work. Uh, You know, being alive, being uh, vertical, not horizontal, (laughs) and going to work. Um, You know, COVID is over, and I'm so happy it is. I I say that, Tony, because, again, uh, so much talk around office buildings. There's a good story in the Wall Street Journal sent to me by a uh, radio station on the other side of the country, yes, a little radio station I do work with in Kelowna, B.C., uh, my friend Phil Johnson sent me a note on office in uh, in America, uh, so, you know, having a challenge getting filled up. And mm-hmm. I continue to see the same thing here in Toronto. Uh, but there's a lot of cars on the road, which leads me to believe people are taking less public transit. Uh, or public transit, by the way, in this town, Tony, is getting a little scary What's it like in the, is it scarier or about the same in, in, in Manhattan when you ride the tube? I, I, I'd say it doesn't smell great. <laughs> but is it, like ours is becoming, the TTC walk, is becoming like, you know, very well, sketch. Hey, Wolfie, guys our age stay on the right side of the grass because we walk. We don't go on tubes or, uh, that's what I do. So I park in the, I park over by the, um, the Port Authority and I walk up to our office on 54th in Madison and, How long of a walk. hike? It's a good. It's a good hike. How, how long? On hike, uh, about twenty minutes, twenty to thirty minutes, depending on in the morning twenty and in the evening thirty because of the tourists and you know thank God they come here, but uh, you got to wade through them. You, know? you you don't yell and scream and push them push them aside. But yeah, I don't yell yeah. and scream at anybody at any time. I leave that to people with anger issues. <laughs> so, to Wolf, Speaking of angry people, uh, me, you me to Wolf's point though. Right. Told, <laughs> You're an angry 58 year old. Is that the gig? <laughs> no, no, Jackie's what? Jackie, Jackie's like 38. No, no, He's it's, 38. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, to Wolf's point though, Tony, office buildings in in uh, New York uh, are they full or uh, what do you see in terms of occupancy and um, boots on the ground? How often are you in the office? 
You can't really tell. I, I, mean, I come in each week. I don't, I'm not in the entire week because I travel a lot right. um, for my job as well. But, it, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, Jack, it's an interesting thing because I could give you an answer and I'm full of it. If I do, I have no idea. You know, I look across the way at the building across the way. doesn't look full to me. Um, so it's, it's one of those topics that I think you really need the data and talk. Well, but but let's back out. Okay. Let me stop here. You know, you know what data I like the most when it comes to everything in this world, the stock market, yeah. I, a, the ultimate voting machine, uh, you know, real dollars at play. Any company with a chunky office portfolio is making new lows. Across yeah, the not, board, it's, 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 it's remarkable. There's a very interesting thing happening today, uh, Wolfie. There's like people come on TV like I do, and you know, as you know, I do, and we talk about the S and P 500, and we talk about how the market's resilient. The Russell 2000 is down for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, the small S and P small cap index is down for the year. The mid cap index is down for the year. The uh, New York Stock Exchange index is up less than one percent for the year. So when you talk about the market, we have to differentiate the Russell 2000 relative to the S&P 500 is back to the October or the March of 2020 pandemic lows. So I, you know, I'm glad you shared that with us because educate our client base. No, thank you for, for sharing that with me as well. Cause uh, I'm struggling this year in the market. I, again, we're, we're up about 1%. Uh, so actually I thank you for, for sharing that with me. Uh, the NASDAQ of course was up, I think at his peak this year, we did, what did it was, did it clip up 30% this year at, on his good day, on his best yeah, day? The majority of sectors are actually down on the year. There's there's three sectors that are up double digits. They contain all the mega cap stocks that are running so well and driving the market up even today, with Meta up fourteen uh, percent. I bought it, by the way. I just I just added to my Meta position right here, right now. I bought the breakout. We'll okay. see. So you know I can't comment on stocks, but nope. but ultimately what the the rest of the sectors, the the ones that should do well if you're really in a bull market aren't. So, you know, we haven't changed our opinion, you know, partially because of that and partially because we expect a recession. You know, Tony, every morning I go through 400 companies' charts. And if there's any change in valuations and, 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 uh, and the likes, I, I go through that as well. And in going through my charts today, and again, the, these are uh, based on last night's close, uh, irrelevant. Uh, based on my chart work today, I saw a lot of downtrending charts, an awful lot of charts that did not look pretty. Yeah. I see some good-looking charts as well, uh, you know. Uh, high, high-end brands, Louis Vuitton, uh, Ferrari, um, Apple obviously has some mojo. You know, the Exxon of the world looks good. Uh, anything to do with um, diabetes, which is now being uh, off-labeled into weight loss, uh, obviously just going parabolic. Novo Nordisk, uh, Eli Lilly, uh, that stuff is working. But the banks, uh, and again, Jack's uh, going to be chomping in here, but the banks, uh, they really surprise me. They are cheaper than chips, and they are getting no love. Both sides of the border, eight times earnings with, you know, three, four, five, six percent dividend deals. I'm not talking about the regionals in the States. I'm talking about yep. the, you know, the national banks, and or, 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 what do you call it? The Bank of America's Money GP. center banks. The big money center yep. banks. Thank you. Uh, they, they're, they're cheap and up here in Canada, equally cheap, but they don't have any love. Sorry, go ahead, Jack. I was just say, in, in terms of the banks, Wolf, uh, at troughs, they, they, they tend to trade off book as opposed to right. uh, PE. So I would just add And they're, they're trading at book value very, very right close. here. Very, yeah, so yeah. the trough valuations, which is interesting. Uh, the sector that really has caught my attention, and you talk about looking at the charts, uh, the housing sector, the home builders. Uh, you know, if we're going into recession, 
you would expect them to be going lower. All those charts look that's, a lot higher, which is surprising me. Surprised me a lot. No, it, it's not surprising to me because I, I did this yesterday because I had thought the same thing, Jack. Okay. And I went back and I looked at a longer-term chart, and it's really 50-50. There's two out of the last four recessions. The home builders were making new highs either immediately before or actually during the recession, um, and the two other times they they weren't. So I think we have to be careful on the data that it, it makes intuitive sense that they should. It's like the industrial stocks are the same thing. I heard that the industrial stocks you can't go into recession because they're at an all-time high. Well, or at a, at a, at a, they had recent strength, and that's not true either. So it's one of those things where we got to look back and actually and, and look at the data. Um, so the, the home building stocks are doing are doing great are doing great, even with rates going up, but that can happen. Uh, let's talk about commodities for a second, Tony. Uh, oil versus base metals. Um, what's your take on each uh, on each subsector within uh, the commodity landscape, oil versus copper? Which, which base? Copper looks pretty toppy. It actually looked like it rolled over to me, which is also kind of, that, that's a good, rece- you know, you kind of know you're in a recession when copper mm-hmm. is, is trending lower. It, it's now topping out looking like it wants to trend lower. Um, pretty stable today though. Um, and oil, oil's just kind of stuck here in the 70 to 80 ish range, I guess, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's hard to tell if we do go into a recession in the U S um, it should probably go a little bit lower, but it's already down pretty pretty well from where it was at the peak. Yeah, back up. Did, did you say if we go into recession in the U.S., does that mean that there's a slight chance you're saying maybe we don't go into a recession or you don't go into a recession? As you go, so go I. So Not not in my opinion. You know, forget my opinion. My, who cares what my opinion is? I go by the data, as you know. And the data right, and that's, well, no, that's how you form your opinion. So your yeah, opinion is totally the, matters, my friend. Right, and the, and the data is very clear, very clear that so much of the leading data has never hit the current levels without being associated with a recession. So is there a chance <clears throat> anything can happen? You know, I'd love to say I, I, there isn't anything can happen. I, I think it's a very, very remote chance that we avoid recession given. And, and don't forget, Jack's talking, you guys talked about the financials charts, right? Well, they're acting poorly because the yield curve's still inverted. Mm-hmm. They're losing their, their support for lending, meaning the deposit base is going into funds away from the bank, money market funds. So they don't have that money to fund lending. Lending standards are tightening and the yield curve is still inverted. So, you know, in English for the listeners and why that's important is no, no institution is going to, you know, when you have a deposit, you, you pay for that deposit, whether it's, you know, 2%, 3%, whatever the number is, but you're not going to lend money to lose money. So if they're the money that you're paying to use that money costs more than the money you make from lending it, it's, you don't do it. And that's the situation we're in. So you're, you're kind of in a, a pretty bad scenario for the banks right now, which is why they act so poorly. Well, some of them are, uh, some aren't. And again, some of them are picking up some free business, the likes of J.P. Morgan with the uh, kerfuffle that happened with the regionals. Uh, J.P.'s picking up some, well, a whole lot of deposits, I shall say. So I think longer term, uh, the strong will get stronger. Look, let's take a quick break and then get back with our man from Wall Street, Mr. Tony Dwyer, frequently seen on CNBC. Uh, he's our 
global head, U.S. macro group, excuse me, he's our head of U.S. macro group and chief market strategist uh, at Canaccord. Uh, it's a delight to have him on the show. Stay tuned. We're going to keep learning right after this. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Show's all about money. It is Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein, WolfgangKlein.com. Along with my partner, Jack Hartle, we are both portfolio managers. Well, helping about 300 Canadian families build wealth. And if you'd like to join the family, give us a call. Uh, Tony Dwyer, uh, one of the many talented individuals that we have direct access to uh, at Canaccord, but uh, he's extra special because he's our head of the U.S. Macro Group and Chief Market Strategist. Um, I remember when Tony joined Canaccord, uh, roughly 2010, uh, he was on the conference call for his inaugural conference call, and uh, I I was goofing around somewhere, Jack was on the call. And he said, Wolf, you got to hear our new strategist. This guy is so bullish. He's, Wolf, he's so bullish. And if you recall, uh, this was in and around the completion of the U.S. financial crisis. The world was still very, very negative. And, well, here was this fella from Manhattan joining us and he's super, super bullish. Uh, and he remained bullish, good golly, for about a decade. Uh, it was, was coined as a super bull, perma bull uh, on Wall Street. But then he became very bearish, uh, uh out of character for those who only knew him for a decade, but within character if you knew him for three decades, because uh, Tony understands that you have to zig and zag uh, in the world of money management, and offensive and defensive play matter at different points in the cycle. And, well, Tony remains quite bearish, so, you know, if you have a bit of a concern, uh, turn up your radio. And, well, if you're an optimist, turn up your radio even louder and pay attention. Uh, Tony, uh, my friend, thanks for spending another segment with Jack and I on Hi-Fi Radio. We continue to comb the charts and uh, navigate the landscape. So you said uh, prior to the break, and Jack and I saw a, a similar piece out of Morgan Stanley, uh, Mr. Wilson's work, very negative. Morgan's, you know, again, a big shop on Wall Street. All the reasons why we're going to recession, all the reasons why the market's going to roll over. But there's two reasons that stand oh so clear and, and, and really have, I think, a lot of individuals, strategists and, and, and people and advisors perplexed. That's the market itself. The stock market is not telling us perhaps we're going to a deep recession because the stock market, well, it's up on the year. Parts of it not. Tony eloquently highlighted that. So it could be a canary in the coal mine. Uh, We'll see. Um, But I think more importantly, because we are in a rising interest rate environment, the bond market is not complying with the Fed. It is fighting the Fed. Individuals have been told, don't fight the Fed. I don't know about the the collective bond market. Is it wrong for the collective to fight the Fed? Because that's what it's doing. It's not listening to the central bank who says, we're going to keep raising interest rates, so get out of bonds and uh, run for cover. Tony, the bond market, the stock market, uh, right, wrong, what do you think? Well, the bond market 
is saying that we're going to go into a recession by the inversion of the yield curve. And, and it, again, in English, what that means is that's when short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, which is a pretty rare occurrence. And frankly, it only happens before recessions. So um, it happens every cycle, Wolfie and Jack, because the Fed gets it wrong every cycle, um, because they're going on data that they're making policy decisions on real-time data but when you look back at history, you see highly revised data. So the point is that, you know, they're looking at bad data. They don't have a choice. There's nothing else to look at. They're still more worried about inflation as they are at every point in the cycle. Um, this one's worse for sure. Um, so the bond market is telling you that the long end of the bond market is telling you you're going into recession. And I think that I agree with that. And the more cyclical components of the stock market agree with that as well. So Tony, you touched on to agree with that as well. You touched on inflation there. Obviously, interest rates matter uh, in terms of slowing down the economy. Um, interest peaked last year. I think it was last June uh, in Canada around nine percent. Uh, inflation. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Inflation peaked at nine percent. Uh, yeah. Now we've got a four handle on it. Uh, target is two, similar to the uh, Federal Reserve for the Bank of Canada. Uh, so two percent inflation target. The, the problem that I have with that, I believe it's too low, and the other issue that I have is they come up with a number, 2%, and for some reason they think they can just stop the inflation <laughs> there. Just like they were yeah. trying to get it up, and instead of you know getting it from 2 to 3, something like that, a lot point, of it yeah. was transitory, they overshot to 9. <laughs> so uh, getting it to, uh, from my perspective, is too low because it brings in the element of deflation, which is even more of a problem. So what's, yep. your, what's your view on the 2% inflation target? Um, and going back in history, looking at the data, which you will like, Tony, over the last 50 years, it's actually been about 3.5%. As they get there, I think I subject so The thing that's very interesting about the Fed and why they get it wrong each cycle is they overdo it, as you eloquently stated, in both directions. The Fed itself, the monetary authorities at the Bank of Canada, the U, the um, UK central bank, the Euro central bank, um, all central banks overdo it in both directions because interest rates work with a lag. In other words, you know, if you have a loan that doesn't reset for six months, what they do right now doesn't mean a damn thing. It yep. doesn't change for six months. So what happens is they overdo it. They create the cycle by overdoing the tightening, which slows down the growth so much more than they thought. Then then they've got to ease and go in the other direction to an extreme. And that's what creates that disinflation or deflationary fears. It'll be no different this time. And, and this it's cycle not- was, e- I say this cycle was even more extreme because they hit the gas so hard, taking interest rates to Correct. zero immediately. Flooding the market with uh, flooding the the monetary system with cash, and then you had fiscal policy on top of that. Actual checks going into people's yep. bank accounts. So that's the gas going into the economy. Now they slam the brakes, 400 basis points higher. So it's it's going to be a challenging, volatile market. I think it's going to be very chat. It already is. Like look, at, if you don't own those top eight stocks, you're not doing anything this year. As you guys said, you have a diversified portfolio. You're excellent at what you do, and you're flat, you're up one percent. And people look at the S&P 500 and say, huh? But that's the way the market's going. The problem is that, you know, there, we had from 2000, and when I became really bullish in 2009, um, it was because the Fed had eased so much that it was the increase of money. Like earlier, Wolfie described me as either, a, you know, people think I'm a permanent and I was, but it was. it's not driven by random stuff. It's driven by the availability of money. You have to have money to be able to spend money. And Jack, like you said, the government gave it to you, the central bank gave it to you, everybody gave it to you. What that did is it, it not all, typically in a recession like we had in 2020, you have a credit event, 
and it kind of wipes out the bad credit and it takes away kind of the bad actors, the people that shouldn't have had debt, that shouldn't have done what they did. Instead, this time, we accelerated it, aggressively accelerated it. We exponentially accelerated it. So instead of lessening credit in a recession, they, they increased it three or fourfold. So you didn't have an event to, to kind of clean out the system, which is unfortunately what you need. So what we have now is a money problem. They gave us all the money, and now they're taking it all away. We spent the money. That's why we had infl- the 9% inflation. So the problem you have now is you already if you already spent the money and they're not giving you any new money and you're already at full employment, where are you going to get that excess money for growth? And I think that's the common sense view that people – that do what I do, get really academic, and they try to confuse you with big terms, it comes down to how are you going to get the money if the banks aren't giving it to you, if the financial markets aren't doing great? Um, even on the rally, they're still down double digits from a year ago or from the peak in early 2022. And and if you're, you're not going to get more money out of earnings because you have a risk of your job. It's hard to find money for growth, and that's what you need. Yeah, well, when there is credit contracting, it's certainly a recipe for a slowdown and potential recession. And, um, you know, looking at, I'm going to say looking across the pond, Tony, because right now in the U.S., this is the most predicted recession, I believe, in my career anyways, it's almost 20 years. Um, and we'll see if it comes through. But you look across the pond to Europe, last year they were slowing. I don't know if it went into a technical recession, but the um, market was down. But now you look at the charts, whether it's you know France, Germany, those charts look pretty good. What do you make of uh, European markets uh, and I'm going to say the, uh, the relative strength uh, across the pond? They've got the same problem we've got, and it's had excellent relative strength. But ultimately, you're going to have the same problem that you have in the U.S. They're more levered than us. Um, in the U.S. And, you know, their earnings are, they've done way better than expectations because it was an easier winter than, than was feared with the energy and, and heating expense that was worried about. You have a war in Ukraine, obviously still, so that, that creates the issue there. But, you know, so I, I'm very negative, as you know, economically. But that, guys, is the bull story. The worst case scenario here is you have this kind of soft landing and everything's okay because it means the European Central Bank, the U.S., the U.K. are going to continue to raise rates because if the economy is still okay, it means that inflation is going to stay not just you know 3%, it could stay at 4%. Right, so that creates a bigger problem for the Fed. So unfortunately for an investment, you want to see economic weakness because it makes the Fed reverse course, lower rates aggressively, which incents lending in that. Remember, it's all about money availability for the listeners. Just remember one thing. Everything we talk about is, is great, except if you don't, you, it's all about money availability. Is money more or less available? And you really need the Fed to cut rates aggressively, the global central banks to cut rates aggressively in the Eurozone as well, to your question, Jack, to really kickstart a real bull market like we talked about in 2009 and 2010. So neandering, soft landing, um, holding in is not a good outcome. You're saying we need, it's and it's funny because Jack, Jack said the same thing, we need to see an accident of some sort uh, to really get kicked in the head and then you get the Fed pivot slash the lowering of interest rates, a new cycle. You need to beginning. reset the cycle. Huh. You need to reset the cycle. You need to, listen, If the like again, how do you get more money if you don't get the Fed to significantly lower rates? Wow. 
Uh, Tony, uh, in this environment, based on how you feel, uh, is is there any? Wh- where do you place money uh, based on what you what, what you're feeling? A T-bill, uh, not bonds yet because interest. I was going to say a T-bill. Well, they got the uh, the debt default coming up for the U.S. in three months, so make sure it's not on a three month T-bill. So, so Tony, where do you place? Well, I'm, where, kidding, where, where, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Even if you do that, you, do you really think that the U.S. isn't going to pay your money back? Nope. No, 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 you're good. I, 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 you know, Jack, you're right. And, you know, there's lots of talk about the debt default. In 2011, <laughs> it was the same thing. Oh, yeah, no. You know what resolves the debt default debate? When the stock market tanks. Because that's what <laughs> happened in 2011. You got a 20% decline. Yeah. And the U.S. rating got downgraded. And that, again, what did that do? It kick-started the cycle. Yeah, and you also had the European debt crises uh, dovetail into uh, your debt ceiling. So actually, that was a very, very interesting period as well, you know, it's, it's uh, anecdotally, usually the beginning of a new decade is challenging. And then as the decade unfolds, it gets a little better. And I was really hoping 2023, uh, third year of the presidential cycle to boot, supposed to be the best year for the market. And again, the S&P 500 looks reasonable. The TSX looks reasonable. The Dow, not so much. That's basically flat on the year, isn't it? And the NASDAQ, the standout. But as Tony indicated, the mid-caps uh, index, the small-cap index, uh, you know, and again, the Russell 2000, friends, is 2,000 companies uh, basically flat on the year. So mega-caps driving the bus. Uh, I say the, 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 the small to mid-cap companies, to Tony's point, they're the ones that have the most difficulty in a, when they need to raise capital, whereas the, the large-cap, mega-caps companies... Uh, Amazon, Google. don't need money. They don't well, need they cap. got large Let's cap, say. yeah, large cap, lots of cash flow, and it's oh. actually a safe haven. Interesting. Sorry, Tony. Uh, let me tie tie this all together. Yes. Something back to what Wolfie said, Jack, originally, because we're I think we're all correct. I think it's going to be a difficult time. But if you think back to the crash of '87, should you have bought halfway down through that crash? Yes. And the crash of two, um, the SNL crisis, yes. any crisis, Halfway the 2008 through. crisis. Sure. In other words, the point is, you know, ultimately for an individual investor, you know, unless you need the money, you typically pays to stay invested because you get a recovery because the Fed cuts rates aggressively and money becomes more available. And our take right now is you just don't have you don't have to go out and we're already 15 months into this now guys mm-hmm. you, you know now's not the time to go doom and gloom on the market maybe on the economy but that's that's the story that's the better story is that the economy worsens that's the bull story so i want to be clear with the listeners i'm not saying go out and sell everything you own because the u.s goes into recession just stop spending how about that everyone stop spending no cars no food just stop it stop i like spending. i like that tony's bullish again i'm going to close on that wolf i like that Tony is bullish again. He's turning well, bullish. Not, not Tur- turning bullish. Tony Dwyer from Manhattan, our U.S. macro <laughs> chief market strategist. I'm going to mix it all together for that good man. Uh, Tony, it's a pleasure. It really is. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot, lot of wisdom, and uh, you're right. We're 15 or 16 months through the bear market. It is coming to an end. Uh, perhaps it has to have a bit of a crescendo, but that would be a bit of a peak. Uh, I don't know. I'll work on my musicology uh, in the break. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great weekend, my good friend. Uh, Jack, our next guest is? Uh, George Generikis. Oh, uh, the yeah, man who covers Tesla. Tesla, along with uh, EV and uh, power walls and all kinds of interesting stuff. It's always great to talk about Elon Musk as well. My good friends, the show is Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about moolah. Do you want some more of it? Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. 
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Welcome back, my friends. We're going to take a trip to Boston and... If you ever do go to Boston, uh, yes, you have to go see Cheers. Just, you have to do it. Nothing else you can say. Well, uh, George Gener- Genericus, uh, our Tesla Wolfspeed uh, EV analyst, spending some time with us. And George, uh, next time I come to Boston, uh, may I buy you a beer at Cheers, please? Absolutely. I've actually never been there, but I've watched the show, so I'd be happy to. Yeah, you know, it's like Trontonians who've never, never, seen, Lake Ontar- never <laughs> seen Lake Ontario. Never seen Lake Ontario. You haven't been to Cheers, laddie. All right. All the more reason for me to come and see you. That's pretty. You do drink, right? You, you okay with a beer? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just check. As, as, as long as it's a good beer, I'm happy to drink it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm off to uh, Europe this summer. I'm sure I'm going to be in Ireland and Germany. I think I can find a good beer over there. Uh, but some American beer is pretty decent. Anyways, Tesla. Uh, that was the first chance I had to sit in a Tesla and drive one was in a Boston uh, at our growth conference about four years ago. What a drive. I think I was doing about one kilometer an hour uh, to the stop sign and then stop and wait and Again, about two kilometers an hour. Uh, you think we have a traffic problem in Toronto? Uh, just hang mm-hmm. on Boston at, when all the bankers and like are leaving the office at around 5.30 to go home. Uh, but is, is your city still congested as much or a little more stay-at-home, little ease on the roads, uh, George? Uh, what's, what's amazing is that on Mondays and Fridays, it's not because most people have <laughs> a three-day work from, work from the office week. So yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is pretty tough. Are you not seeing Monday a little busier? Yeah, it's okay, but nothing like Tuesday. Nothing like Tuesday, yeah. So same. It's fun. I'm glad I asked you a question because really the same phenomena uh, in Toronto, except half of Toronto is under construction. Plus, we got a bunch of cranes in the sky. Any cranes in the sky in Boston? Not really. Yeah, we got tons of cranes up here. My God, we just keep building and building and building uh, higher and higher. Well, they had the big higher. they had the big dig down in Boston. I think it was probably ten years ago they completed that. That was the biggest. That was, it was a great job. It was huge. They did a great, great job. Of, does that make the traffic flow? better i guess george sure a little bit i mean it's it's the city's a little prettier because of it you well know? yeah they got rid of their gardener expressway everything went underground yeah well Amazing. it went to ground level uh ground, underground yeah, yeah your, your underground system uh, is is not in keeping i think with a modern city is it your your tube is not so good is it it's it uh a little sketch some delays some delays yeah i mean i, I grew up on it i grew up in boston i think it you know, for a long time, and so it's it's fine. People wielding knives. We we have people wielding knives now in Toronto. We're getting the. Uh, and Kathleen, by the way, Jack, she monitors the police. Uh, I don't know the oh, scan yeah. a local neighborhood. What's going on? And oh yeah, every every day there's something with a uh, within our subway system, and of course a lot of uh, drug overdoses and you know people seeking shelter and uh, people just riding uh, the tube just to stay warm. And it's you know mental health. It's a homelessness issue. It's a societal problem. It's our problem that we as a people have to deal with and solve um but you know it is scary at times anyways let's talk about tesla uh and then we're going to talk about wolf speed or do you want to talk about wolf speed first something company i don't have anything to do with but jed dorsheimer first put us in tune with that stock silicon carbide producer used in making batteries more efficient which way do you want to go george tesla or wolf speed 
Whatever you guys, dealer's choice. I would say, why, why don't you talk about the technology of silicon carbide, the difficulty that Wolfspeed's having, I guess, going to, is it 200 millimeter wafers? And then, the, I guess, the potential opportunities there. Uh, look, you know, this is a, a, an underlying semiconductor substrate that is in high demand across many companies that make things for in the EV landscape, whether they're EVs themselves or chargers, other industrial equipment. And so there's a huge opportunity uh, for companies that can make these devices to sell them into the companies that we cover, including mm -hmm. the Tesla rivians of the world. Problem is that they just can't seem to make it. Uh, and, and they don't, they have, they've had an inability to scale up over the last several quarters. So there's a plant, a fab that they're built, that they've built in New York, uh, been expensive, billions of dollars. And, you know, every quarter there seems to be an issue with ramping for one reason or the other. And uh, in this last quarter, the company had an issue selling material. So actually selling the silicon carbide material that they grow to their facility in New York to make the semiconductor devices. And, uh, you know, we, I think people are sort of kind of fed up with the continued lack of, of an ability to operate the company efficiently. And not only that, but say, do what they say they're going to do. In other words, you say you're going to do 1.6 billion in revenue in fiscal 24, we'll do it. And they gave guidance for 1.6 billion in, in 24 at their Halloween analyst day. And now they just guided for a one to 1.1 billion. And so, that's so not that long ago. I say, obviously they're disappointing the street. Uh, the chart is telling you that stock is going lower. Uh, could you maybe speak to what the, the benefits are of silicon carbide? Why does everyone? What, why is there such demand for it? And then also the challenges for making because the most recent quarter they were talking about electric switches or something which didn't really align with, um, didn't really make sense. I'll say that. Yeah, I would say that the, just to put it in a nutshell, the, the underlying substrate, the material uh, upon which you build a semiconductor device, when you move from silicon to silicon carbide. You could just add more, you know, it's more efficient. You can push more power through it. It's not going to heat up, you know, it, which means that you can have faster charging without worrying about heating problems. It means that the devices that you use can be more powerful. And that's the promise of silicon carbide. You can do that at a lower, with less real estate, meaning less, you know, uh, that semiconductor device occupies less room in your in your EV or your charger. So it, 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 it's really a key to unlocking a more sustainable world, you know, uh, having devices that are built on this this particular material. And like you said, the problem is that they've had an issue ramping it, right? They haven't proven to us yet that they can do it beyond this 200 to 250 million a quarter uh, revenue profile that Wolfspeed has. Uh, we're, we're speaking with uh, George Enriquez. He's one of our analysts. Uh, he's in what's called the sustainability uh, sector, of course, uh, the green sector, in other words, covering Tesla, Rivian Automotive, uh, Wolfspeed, which we were just talking about. That company just reported results, disappointed uh, with their revenue, market voting with its feet. Going to take a quick break and talk Tesla with George right after this. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto.
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Welcome Any back. Such a beautiful song. Chapman, as we speak we'll with George Fenericus, our sustainability analyst at Canaccord. He's in Boston. Uh, Tesla, stock not working. Um, it's a tough one. Uh, this is never an easy stock. Uh, George, help us. Uh, why the pullback in the name? Um, is it in the penalty box for a period of time? Do you think it's going to trend lower? Uh, before hire, uh, you know, obviously they're they're grabbing market share, they're reducing prices. Uh, so I think long term strategically, if you're an academic, probably doing the right things. If you're a shareholder, not so happy. Uh, George, over to you. Look, the demand for EVs for autos is a great. You know, it all started in the second half of last year, where EV demand in China started to get weaker. We saw that. Uh, move to U.S., to Europe. It's being reflected in several of the commodity, EV-related commodities that we cover, whether it's lithium, rare earth materials, those prices have fallen off a cliff. Hmm. And so and, and so, uh, Tesla isn't operating in an environment uh, that's not good. I mean, when rates go up, the price of vehicles, the prices of vehicles go up as well, and they've said that many times. And so what they're doing is trying to, they're, embarking upon price discovery, right? They're trying to figure out what's the clearing price for the volume that they want to achieve. And they're uh, operating on the hopes, and we think the realistic hopes, that over time they could sell software into those vehicles and make the margins go from the 20s to something a lot higher than that as people buy full self-driving software for their vehicles. Right now that full self-driving software has penetrated probably the high single digits globally. And we expect that to go significantly higher over time as people feel like the offering is up to stuff. George, anytime we've seen really an industry, especially when it's sort of a, I don't say a commodity industry, but um, in terms of a very competitive industry, which the auto uh, automotive industry is, uh, when they cut prices to maintain market share, it's, as you said, very, very challenging. What are you seeing the traditional automakers do in this environment? Uh, and do you think the, the Tesla strategy is correct? Well, Tesla, we think that the EV market is very similar to what the smartphone market was, whatever it was, 10 to 15 years ago, where people had you know feature phones, feature wireless phones, and eventually they all became smartphones. Um, and eventually, we maybe we'll figure out how long that takes. You know, it's an honest debate to have, but eventually, all vehicles that we buy will be electric. Uh, that's that's our view. And Tesla will ride that wave because they have the most cost-effective platform and the most compelling EV in the marketplace for the price. And uh, right now, other vehicle OEMs, whether it's the GMs, the Fords, and traditional OEMs, are trying to figure out how to make a good EV. And that takes a lot of stuff, right? It not only takes making sure that you have the physical material to make that happen, but that you have a compelling vehicle and that you have the right software engineers. It's not easy, and Tesla's been doing this for a long time. So, yeah. I, we worry a lot less about traditional OEMs taking market share. The companies that have the most compelling products in the world relative to Tesla's are the Chinese OEMs. 
hands down. And so Sorry, who? when we think about the, the Chinese OEMs. Yeah, and which company did you, I think you mentioned a company. There, no, there, there are companies that we don't cover them. We don't have an opinion. But, oh, an opinion. Thank like, you. Sorry. Yeah, no opinion. So Neo, Xpeng, uh, Geely, these are all companies that make EVs geared towards the Chinese market. And uh-huh. eventually they'll start selling in Europe. They're starting that this year. Um, and, and if you look at just the pound-for-pound pound vehicles that they make, they're very compelling. I mean, I had the opportunity to drive a couple very recently, and I was, I was shocked by how high quality they were. And so when you think about the way this market is going to evolve over the next several years, decades, I think it's very similar to how the the smartphone market evolved. You'll have uh, American and Chinese OEMs competing for, you know, buying for global dominance. And the Europeans, I mean, I don't have uh, that strong of an opinion or any opinion at all in Volkswagen or Chase, et cetera. But if you think about what happened in smartphones, they were this was a market dominated by Nokia and Ericsson and others. Motorola. Eventually, and eventually they they fell by the wayside. And we think it's going to be very similar. I think Chinese and American OEMs will dominate the EV marketplace over the next you know, five to ten years. You know, it's fascinating because Jack and I uh, own across our book, uh, well, in our growth strategy, some Ferrari uh, symbol race uh, stock flirting with all time. Well with 52-week highs anyways, and also some Mercedes-Benz. Uh, and that stock's paying us a 7% divvy. Uh, both names holding in, I'm going to say remarkably well, uh, on a relatively, and a bit of a, I'm going to say, weak tape. Um, so I, I'm going to throw that out to you, George, but I'm also going to throw out the the, the fleet. Uh, the, the public auto fleet has never been older. It's about, the average age of a vehicle on the road is 12 years. And you're seeing the likes of O'Reilly Automotive, which is an auto parts supply chain in the United States, uh, AutoZone um, and Copart, all different ways of, 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 of servicing the secondary uh, and after market market. Uh, what, what is that telling you, George, you know, that we're going to recession, that people you know, cannot afford a new vehicle, therefore extending the life of their existing vehicle? I think it's a little bit of that. I think we've made better vehicles over time that could actually last that long. I mean, mm-hmm. I personally have had a vehicle for 15 years. God bless you. First owner. What kind of car? Uh, it, it, uh, it's a Cayenne, and I'm, I'm waiting for my um, I'm waiting for my Rivian. <laughs> I've had that on order for years. Hey, what about sorry? What about, te- what about Tesla's uh, concept truck? Uh, what was that thing called? Uh, the, the one where you smashed the window and the window broke. <laughs> the Cybertruck. Is that is that going to hit the market? Coming in the second half of this year in small volumes, and I will tell you, I've seen it in person, and seeing it is cool, person, isn't it? It's, it's going to be an incredible vehicle, and people who are skeptical will change that. Too. I'm not. I, I, I was going to say it's going to be an acquired taste. I think when you see some, when you see that change, how much it's changed the vehicle, the truck market, uh, it will be an acquired taste. People will uh, gravitate towards it over time. Look, I, I wanted it personally, and my wife refuses to let us buy it. So you got a Rivian, eh? So I got. <laughs> she said I won't be. She said I won't be caught dead in that, and that's. But I love it. You know, I, I think it's going to be an absolute game changer. Georgie, 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 my good friend, love you. Thank you for your time uh, and insight uh, in the EV market. It's a fascinating space, uh, but it remains, well, it doesn't remain, it, it has become quite challenged. Uh, brace yourself. It's going to be an exciting ride. Uh, my good friends, that's it for the weekend. Well, that's it for this show this weekend, I shall say. I do want to wish you a great weekend. Um, as a friend of mine on another radio station says, be kind 
to one another. Right? Show some love. Uh, we can all use it. Have a great weekend. Jack and I will join you next Saturday right here on 640 in Toronto. The show is Hi-Fi Radio. And I'm Wolfgang Klein. Have a great one. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio. For the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.